Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast here on the Raised with Jesus Podcast. My name is Jeremy Lightning, and I am here with Hey Mikey, He Likes It. Oh, that's a great commercial. I love it. Uh, no, actually, his name is Pastor Michael Zarling, and he's my co-host. And, and I really do hate being called Mikey. Okay. Just, just you know, I don't, even, I don't even like Mike. I Just Michael, but, but the that's name, my given name. But. The name for today is Hey Mikey, He Likes It. So it's not, it's not just Mike. That's, it's, that's fine. The whole, the whole stick. Uh, our guest today is Pastor Dan Lindner. Welcome, Pastor Lindner. Thanks. It's good to be here with you. I'm excited for this 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 recording. He was very nervous that we were going to be testing his Greek knowledge and so forth on this <laughs> podcast. And I said, well, you haven't listened to our podcast too much then. Yeah, yeah more Hebrew, but yeah, 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 that would have been. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're really pulling out the Hebrew. Uh, so you, you are... Here because of uh, your work with campus ministry, you were you you were at Shoreland this afternoon. I stopped by Shoreland, and the big thing that got me here was I stopped by Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary yesterday for their mission and ministry day that they had. So I gave a presentation on a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Awesome! Please please take some time to tell us about um, campus ministry, but also uh, your your own ministry where you've served and where you're currently serving. Yeah, so my background a little bit of I'm a graduate again, born in well, I was born in in Wisconsin in Milwaukee, and uh, my my parents, my di- mom was a nurse, my dad was a pastor, my dad was assigned to Mobridge, South Dakota, but then moved to Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, is uh, where I grew up and called home. Uh, went to grade school and high school years were were there, and then also college and seminary years. Uh, graduated from the seminary in 2004 and was assigned to Nebraska Lutheran High School out in Waco, Nebraska. And then in 2006, I was assigned to St. John's Lutheran uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church in Northeast Minneapolis. And about six years into that, that that ministry, I was also asked to serve True North Campus Ministry, which is a, a campus ministry that's not just one university, but there were 29 of them, and that's why it was called True North. Uh, the majority of those students that would come would come from the University of Minnesota. And then in 2020, I received a call to serve as our uh, a new position in our synod, in our church body. It was to serve as our Wells Campus Ministry Mission Counselor. Hmm. So and what- I, yeah, and I work, I see Dan at least twice a year for our Board for Home Missions meetings. So it might be interesting for our listeners, and maybe for me too, to know how does campus ministry fit under the umbrella of Board for Home Missions? Yeah, that's a good good question. Again, it's had a few homes throughout its history, the Campus Ministry Committee, and I should have said I served on that for a couple of years before taking this call, but it finally landed under the board for home missions, and a, a driving force to that is just the, the natural connection of where there were those that were noticing how while our goal is to serve those students that come from our congregations that are a part of our church body, they always bring friends and it puts our pastors, staff ministers, the lay people that are serving those ministries, it also puts them on campuses of where there's a huge need to hear the gospel. And so people noticed, well, that's a vast mission field. And another connecting point to that is a lot of the time when our our church body wants to plant some new churches, very often what what they'll notice is that some of these young adults, they have some experience of doing the things that our our church plants or our nuclear or core teams go out with, that they've been already doing that on a college campus. And so some of those connects that are there, the the mission field that is there, and then also recognizing that these young adults often go to places of where we might be starting a new mission. So that's, again, part of the background of why this fits under our board for home missions. Do you have a wife, kids? Do you have a family? Yep, married. No, no children, but I married. I, I married a, a gal I met at St. John. She was coming in at the same time. Again, a, a connecting point for both of us. We both had a little bit of time in, in in foreign places. She was serving in China for a while for a couple of years. I had spent my vicar year down in Puebla, Mexico, and still adjusting to getting back to. Oh yeah, it's a little bit different when you've lived in a foreign country and you come back to the United States. You see a, a few things, and 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 you 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 may miss where you were a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the Lord brought us both together. It was a, a joy as she was at our, our church. We were trying to start a preschool in an area that was 
pretty diverse. Uh, her first years that we were there, again, her third year of starting a preschool, we had 14 kids from 10 different countries that spoke seven different languages. So it was just kind of a thing. And again, was was installed on the same day at the church as she was. And we later walked down that aisle a couple of years <laughs> later. So, but for a different reason. So there you and go. She, right now she's currently a teacher. She teaches at a Hmong charter school uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota. Do you, so do you habla the Espanol? Uh, poquito. Si hablo poquito. Si todavía. Si. <laughs> so, Dan, why is campus ministry so important? I had a member a number of years ago when I was getting information on his son who was going to one of our big University of Wisconsin schools. And he said, Pastor, you know, it's not such a big deal if he doesn't go to church for four years. And I said, no, that's not quite right. Why is it so important for these students for those four to five years to be connected to our Wells churches and a Wells campus ministry? I could maybe answer that a couple of ways, but I'll try this avenue uh, as I approach this of, of where there's often this phrase of these young adults, ah, they've reached adulthood and they're going to be going on to an institution of higher learning far away from their, their home congregation, maybe not so far away. And for whatever reason, there's this, this concept that just says they'll just be fine. Uh, yet at the same time, I can hear in our congregations and from pastors, teachers, staff, ministers, laity, they're saying where we, we lose these young adults what is happening to them? And I, I, I kind of explain it in a way of saying, you know, they've been in an area of where there's been a lot of people they've been connected to uh, that, have make sure, that have made sure that, you know, they get up for a church or that they stay connected with their Lord and Savior. And then all of a the sudden they end up going to this campus of where, you know, they're told to think for themselves and be their own person. And they have all of these freedoms and, and areas of responsibility. Yet at the same time, there, there's just a, a, a boatload of temptations that the devil can throw at them. Uh, that again, being on their own, and sometimes it might be their own pride. Sometimes it might be their reason, their logic. Sometimes it might be despair. And they've got all of this information coming at them uh, of where if they don't have a, a, a good good resource or at least some people that can keep an eye on them or connect with them, and I'd say build a relationship with them. Again, there, there's some pretty treacherous waters that they're wading through, and very often they're wading through those things all on their own or with mom or dad or their home pastor, their home congregation, uh, a few towns or maybe even a few states away. So. Yeah, because I was working with my daughter Lydia today, who's a sophomore at the University of Dubuque, on her religion paper. So my wife Shelly helps all the girls with all of their other homework. I do the writing assignments. And uh, so she had written a paper for her uh, professor, her religion professor, who is a female and supposedly also then a pastor. So that was the first problem that Lydia had, rightly so. And the class so far has been talking about how God is does not have a gender. And so she had to write a paper on this and what she's learned. And she talked about in the paper of how you know, she quoted one, uh, I think it's called Women's Ordination uh, article that said, well, God is described sometimes as a mother bear or a mother hen. So, you know, he's, he's a female. And then other times in scripture from another article, it said that, well, but he also is described as a male. So she went through those and then she rightly said, except that throughout scripture, God calls himself male. God, God the Father is male. God the Son is male. Jesus went to heaven and she quoted the Apostles' Creed and said, he ascended into heaven and he's coming back again. He is male. And then the conclusion I just liked, I wanted to read it. Uh, she wrote, There are many different ways that people think of God. People use many different names to refer to God. Referring to God as anything but male is changing what God says about himself. God's word by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is very clear. The God of the Bible describes himself as male. To question, doubt, change, or twist God's word in any way to say anything different is, in today's language, misgendering God. And then she calls it out in the paper, rightly calling a number of passages, calling it 
blaspheming and the second commandment. So she's going right at the professor and I texted her and I said, I'll be interested to know what your professor thinks. But the reason I bring that up is this is the kind of stuff they're going to be getting in any kind of secular college, a philosophy, religion, and so forth. And it's going to damage their faith or with Lydia, drive them deeper into the faith. You have a comment with that? Yeah, maybe maybe a couple of comments. Again, you know, not there. There's a unique situation, and again, just kind of the point of what we really want to make sure our young adults have is not everybody has a, a pastor they can call as a dad on the phone to just say, "Hey, I'm I'm struggling through this." But we want to have somebody who's there. Um, I use the illustration of, of Batman, of having a bat light that you can call at any point, text at any point, write at any point, of where if there are some questions that they're having, whether it's coming from classes, from peers, from other social groups that they might have, that they just know there's somebody who's willing to walk with them through God's Word. Um, point them to their Savior, what their Savior has to say, uh, walk through that, help them, you know, be reassured of what they're hearing and listening to. You know, th- this is coming from their Savior, and he's looking out for them. So, again, yeah, those situations like that, because, again, they may not know who's going to be their ally or who's going to be a person with whom they can talk or whatever it might be. And, and that's where having ministry to college students, a congregation, a, a campus pastor, a staff minister, a layperson uh, that's willing to listen to them and kind of give them a home away from home. So graphic novel reference came from our guest before uh, my co-host. That's pretty impressive. I did wear my uh, onesie Batman pajamas to serve uh, pancakes to the middle schoolers though today, so that was good. <laughs> I, I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't know that was a thing. So again, I'm glad. I should probably listen to you guys. If you, if you, uh, yeah, if you want to, let's see. If you're playing bingo at home, uh, if we have. Uh, Marvel or DC reference, uh, uh, Star Lord, Wars, Lord of the Rings, yep. Star Wars, uh, uh, yeah, pretty much any kind of, uh, and then the obscure stuff that you ask me about. Have you ever seen this or that? And I have no clue. So I, it makes I, I, you kind of have me thinking back on my time in the parish in um, in Kansas and how um, I, I was not the best at that. I I, I tried a little bit that there were college students that I would get list of names of, uh, it was usually maybe two or three or five at the most that, uh, happened to be going to college in Kansas, one of our universities somewhere. And, uh, one of them was even, uh, um, Hayes, Kansas, Hayes state that, um, he, he would come to a little preaching station that I had there. But, uh, there were a lot that it was, it was like pulling teeth to try to make contact with them and then if you did make contact if they would keep it up um i don't know what do you what do you, advice do you have for people that are out in the boonies like that uh i i would say out in the boonies a couple of things too just rewinding a little bit as far as some of the biggest help that can come is is when those names are submitted by home congregations home pastors the students themselves parents we have resources for that so that the guys on the receiving end uh, we'll know that they're there. We have a method of how that information gets passed to who the contact pastor is, uh, the contact congregation. Uh, and again, some of the things you listed, you know, some people just, they don't necessarily always want to be found. And and one of the things that I usually advise or, you know, we would try to do when I did serve uh, in one of these scenarios is either have a student along with myself or whatever, try to reach out to them and again, see if there's an opportunity where we could go out for coffee or ice cream or whatever it is, meet on campus so that I could at least meet them. And again, sometimes, yeah, it, it's like finding a, a needle in a haystack. If you've got a university with 55,000 students and you're expected to just find one, uh, the, the best encouragement that I can, I can give you is just keep trying. Keep trying, and, and if you have the information, you know, a text, or if there's a special thing that's going on that, that might be something that could appeal for them an, an evening gathering or a special worship service or a meal after a worship service just keep reaching out to them because again you, you you never know uh when when they may take that offer that you've given them up so yeah keep working at it again and at the same time don't beat yourself over ahead of saying i'm trying to uh, i'm trying to get a hold of them and i'm just not getting a response um 
Sometimes they like you, like you said, just don't want to be found. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's now, mm-hmm. that's now, where, where it takes more than just the the again the home pastor, the home parents. You know, some of that communication, the partnerships that are there, just are are so so valuable. You know, the Apostle Paul in Philippians where he talks about the partnership in the gospel, mm-hmm. spreading that out among among various people. It's a joyous thing, a joyous thing to do. So now, now I want to take it in a different direction because let's suppose that. A, a pastor that, like you said, I, w- I would have been the contact pastor. Contact pastor out in the boonies uh, makes contact and even sustains and and starts to build a relationship. And then um, y- you start to find out things about uh, the student's life and um, maybe even things that need to be uh, rebuked in the light of scripture. Um, but at the same time, you're not the home pastor, and that that's maybe not the the first go to or the best thing to do. It, 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 what what do you think of that? Uh, that that's a tough one right there. But yet at the same time, you just think of the process and who it is who has the relationship of. Again, if if something's going on in that individual's life, again Matthew eighteen would apply. Um, yet at the same time, communication. You know, their congregation has their elders and their pastor that if if the need were there, again, you're on the front lines knowing things are going on. You would work with that individual. You'd continue to go to that individual and um, reach out to them as you would a a pastor. But again, if something continues, you know, that's kind of where you would involve the home congregation. uh, You mentioned Matthew 18. So at some point it would get to the second step of Mm -hmm. bring two or three, which the the first one that you should choose for those two or three would be, you know, their home congregation. Yeah. 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 And again, how I'm trying to think, I, I don't know that I've heard this scenario come up a ton, but yeah, yeah, yeah that's no, I, that, I don't, that's a, yeah, I, I can imagine it's not terribly yeah. common, but it, yeah, I was yeah. just wondering about that. Yeah. Yeah. And we're blessed that we're going to have Dan come down and talk to our water of life, parents and students in August, August 8th in the evening that or afternoon, just because we're talking about this kind of thing. I try in the beginning, uh, every summer, probably August, I go on the Wells website and that's the uh, my encouragement for all of those listening for your pastor, parents to do this too. Go on to the Wells Campus Ministry website and then put down your student, their address, you know, the the campus or the college that they're going to, and then the Wells will send them either a hard copy or a digital copy of Lutheran Meditations, Devotions, the Ford in Christ magazine, and so forth. And then, like you're saying, Dan, to be able to have, to give that information then to that campus pastor. So they have that. And so I try and do that every year. I try and stay connected with our college students like we're talking about. That's one of the roles in my outreach ministry here at Water of Life. But with one guy, I just can't do do it all. Like Jeremy was saying, you just get swamped with other things. But that's one of the things that why we want you to come down and talk to our parents and our students to demonstrate, like you said here, of how important it is so that they don't lose their faith over those four or five years where they're away from the nest of mom and dad. Yeah, yeah, that that's great. Again, to, to chime in with that too, again, to listeners that are out there that, you know, could be worried. Another blessing that I would say I get to often, you know, see as I visit some of our locations too is is just the fact of how the Lord is using the other young people that are connected to the campus ministry because they're, they're another group that's going to be embracing of that young adult coming in and just saying, hey, we've been been there and we've done that and, and we're here to be encouragement for you too. Um, and, just, and I yeah. think if you got them as leaders, you know, those young men and women to be involved in the leadership of the campus ministry. My daughter Miriam became the president of Campus ministry led a mission journeys trip down to Texas to do some mission work with one of our churches down there. And, uh, you know, Lydia, who's University of Dubuque, I talked to her about that uh, or talked about her earlier, uh, just trying to maybe invite people over to her house to do a Zoom meeting for campus ministry since it's about half an hour in the dark 
to go to Platteville for the campus ministry. But it, it really does build up leaders, and that's what we need. We need those uh, young people after they've gone to college to come back to their home congregations, Lord willing, or a new congregation after they've got a job in a new place to now step up. And you know how awesome would it be to have for our congregations to have 25, 30 year olds, you know, on uh, on the church council in the ladies groups and so forth. It, it, we uh, actually both got to see you uh, down in Knoxville this past summer. For the youth rally, uh, you were up on the stage with uh, Pastor Nauman. Yes, or, Joel. Yeah, Joel. Joel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, how how did you like the youth rally? I, I again, I was there, and again, it was a great thing to be there to connect with various individuals and just you know letting letting those those young adults know that again some things we encourage them to use their gifts and we encourage them to consider you know some of the Martin Luther College in Bethany and also Wisconsin Lutheran College but also to let them know if they pick a place like Knoxville Tennessee we you know we've got somebody you know there and and that was some of the things that would some of the comments that would come from chaperones they would say oh we didn't know about this and this is great for us to know about and some of the students said yeah we didn't know about this and you know they may want to pursue a career in engineering and it and there's a certain fit, a, a place that I think of where we have a lot of church leaders, again, running into them over and over again, our campus ministry up in Houghton, Michigan. Uh, if you know where that is, geographically speaking, or if you don't know where that is, look it up on a map. Uh, but one of the cool things when I go around and I preach at various places of saying, oh, I was one of those student leaders that was there at Houghton, Mission, Michigan, and in engineering, and they end up being the treasurer or the church president or, or their outreach coordinator or whoever that might be. So just, again, seeing them at the youth rally specifically of where that leads into, it, it's there is a bit of a pipeline that's there. So, yeah, it's neat to be there with those young adults planning that and at least letting them know that there's something waiting for them after their high school years. It's interesting that out of all of the colleges, you picked Michigan Tech and Houghton, Michigan, because our evangelism chairman came he's an engineer and came from Michigan Tech my sister graduated from Michigan Tech see I can put that on another notch of another Michigan Tech because we didn't have this conversation ahead of time and here we go another another place run into it that Michigan Tech and campus ministry of some things just you know serving our congregations out there that's pretty cool so just grabbing Batman out of the air (laughs) (laughs) you told me to look it up so I just did uh, it's in the northern part of the upper peninsula Mm -hmm. nice yeah all right, Jeremy, you want to get into the gospel lesson as we're continuing to go through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? The gospel is Matthew 5, starting with verse 21. Jesus is talking, and he says, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother without a cause will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Reka will have to answer to the Sanhedrin, but whoever says, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. So if you are about to offer your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. If someone accuses you, reach an agreement with him quickly while you are with him on the way. Otherwise, your accuser may bring you to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Amen, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to fall into sin, pluck it out and throw it away from you. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to fall into sin, cut it off and throw it away from you. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality causes her to be regarded as an adulteress. And whoever marries the divorced woman is regarded as an adulterer. Again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, Do not break your oaths, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, not by heaven, because it is God's throne, 
and not by earth, because it is his footstool, and not by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your own head, since you cannot make one hair white or black. Instead, let your statement be, yes, yes, or no, no. Whatever goes beyond these is from the evil one. So, Dan, when Jesus says, you have heard it said, he's not rejecting any of the Old Testament law. Rather, what is he doing? He's con- confirming that it's the Word of God. So. Wow, that is a short answer. That's like one of the shortest answers oh. we've ever had. No, no, I think there have been shorter. <laughs> uh, Jeremy, why can't you call anyone Reka or fool? Because uh, sticks and stones break bones, but words really do also hurt you. Um, I, I'm sorry, I, I was still trying to uh, bounce back from the <laughs> from Dan's short, short answer. answer. Yeah, that, that was the first thing that came to mind: sticks and stones. Um, well, uh, it, it, first of all, uh, I don't know if you want to. Anybody wants to correct my pronunciation of? Do you, you say Reka? I say Raka, but I said. Rika, because you said Rika. Well, it, it, I've heard both ways, and um, I, so like a Seinfeld episode, I've heard it both ways. I've heard it both ways, and I thought that was uh, Psych. Oh, you're right. Russ always says, yeah, I've, I, I've heard it both ways." Yeah, I've, that's right. It's like, oh, Miriam would be very disappointed in me that I I messed up a Psych episode. Um, you can't call people fool because um, I, I, the second thing I thought of was that uh, you. You never know when the next time is that you are going to do something foolish, and you wouldn't want people calling you that. Um, that I, one of the things I always think about when I read this is uh, how Jesus is sort of mimicking the style of preaching of the rabbis uh, at his time, that uh, they're obviously very steeped in works righteousness and um, slavish adherence to tradition, um, and, and one of the things they would do was say, well, if you do this, that's bad. But then if you do that, oh, that's really bad. And, and then if you do this other thing, that's the worst of all. It's, it's, and Jesus is almost kind of saying, he's sort of mimicking that tone of voice here with the, uh, well, if you, uh, call somebody Reka, well, that's, then you have to answer to the Sanhedrin. But if you say you fool, well, then that's really bad. Then you're in danger of hellfire. And the fact of the matter is Jesus with his, comparative and superlative here, it, none of these are really any different from each other. And he's kind of making that point when he's saying Sanhedrin, well, if you get excommunicated by the church, the Jewish church at that time, you're basically going to hell anyway. Uh, but he's, he's almost kind of uh, poking some fun at, I think, the way that uh, the, the works righteous rabbis taught at that time. Yeah. And so what Jesus is doing here with this portion of the Sermon on the Mount is really just saying, all right, you think that this sin, like you said, Jeremy, is really bad because maybe it's a physical thing, something you've done. And But he's saying, no, it's it's worse than that because this is how sinful you are. It's, it's your thoughts. It's your words. Uh, Dan, why does Jesus desire for you to be reconciled first with your brother before coming to the Lord's altar? I'll I'll try to take my cue again. I, I'm a novice at this this whole uh, podcast thing, and maybe I'll jump into a story r- right off the bat or an illustration. Um, usually, usually utilize this, and again, uh, a lesson I go back to when I remember seeing the preschoolers taught at my church uh, of where some of the hardest words that are for us to say in the English language, um, the hardest phrase that used as an illustration is the, are the words, I'm sorry. Uh, but one of the things that I, I remember seeing this lesson with little kids, and I pull it out with little kids sometimes when I see it, because they usually will know uh, if I need mom and dad to just move on with life or the teacher to be okay with me again, I just say I'm sorry. But I, I remember that my wife was teaching the kids at the time of when, you know, there were these two little boys that came from Ecuador and, and they were, they lived in the same type of area, uh, that kind of thing. And they shared a house, but one would slug the other. And, and, and they just knew right off the bat to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, or whatever it is. But then I saw it in practice of, I'm sorry for what? And sometimes it was, I'm sorry for making you cry or having you cry or that you're crying, not I'm sorry for hitting you. (laughs) 
Um, and then the, 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 the back thing on that was it was taught to them of when someone says, I'm sorry for hitting you, you say, I forgive you for hitting me. Um, and then they, they'd hug it out and it was kind of, it was cute because it was in Spanish and I, they didn't know that there was this big guy walking behind them and saw them do this thing, but they wanted to get out. It was usually over some car that they would be fighting over, but yeah, sorry to, to cut in. But anyways, yeah. just going, you know, those hard words for us to say are, I'm sorry. And I forgive you. And again, one of those things we want to make sure that that, that is established before we go up and receive, you know, the Lord's supper. Right, and I think what Jesus is doing here is he's demonstrating that when you break uh, one of his second table laws, that's going to affect your relationship with God, which is the first table of the law. So, Jeremy, you mentioned this in one of the previous podcasts that we didn't quote the confessions often enough. So I, I, this isn't a confession, but it is from before the confessions with Augustine. Uh He writes about this verse, We may interpret the altar spiritually as being faith itself in the inner temple of God, whose emblem is the visible altar. For whatever offering we present to God, whether prophecy or teaching or prayer or a psalm or a hymn, and whatever other such like spiritual gift occurs to the mind, it cannot be acceptable to God unless it be sustained by sincerity of faith. So then, Applying that, Jeremy, why is it good advice to settle matters quickly, like Jesus says? Well, first of all, I, I want to encourage uh, our brother here that uh, as much as you might be a novice at this, uh, being on a podcast, we're novices of hosting the podcast. <laughs> so uh, I think sometimes our, our question system uh, might might throw people off a lot. Like I said, you're not the only one who has given a one-word answer to <laughs> I, I, that was Jay Selly and I think my wife uh, both were like, you ask a question and then they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, being reconciled, uh, why is that good advice? Um, th- because it's it, it's good not to leave matters. Uh, it's it's just good interpersonal friendship. If you want to, I, I think a big thing with the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is always assuming that he's talking to people who have faith. I mean, when I say assume, obviously he can see their heart that they do have faith, but he's talking in a very generous way as though these are, these are believers and these are strong believers. He had the whole blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, And, uh, and so here too, he's talking to individual Christians and uh, he's going to be very interested. They are going to be very interested in how do I keep up my relationships with other people? What What do you think? Yeah, and with that, you know, we all have, all three of us have done some marriage counseling in the past. And, you know, I think we've seen it in marriages where the the couple, one of them says, well, he did this. And then he responds, well, that's because you did that. And they're not settling the matters, right? They're bringing up old past sins and they can't ever move forward if they're dragging everything behind. Uh, And so I think what Jesus is saying here is, you know, settle matters quickly. If there's an issue, don't let it drag out. Uh, Don't, you know, go to bed angry. You know, Paul talks about about that. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry because then you give the devil a foothold. Uh, get it? If there's an issue, what I tell couples when it's any kind of counseling like this, and it can be any situation, I tell them, uh, you've got really two options. You either go and talk to the other person who you feel has sinned you, and then you offer forgiveness. Or if you're not willing to go and talk to that person, then in your heart, you still offer forgiveness. Either way, you're going, you're going to need to offer forgiveness from from Jesus, you know, settle the matter quickly. Dan, why does Jesus use such strong language about losing body parts when it comes to adultery? Again, I'd say part of this, as you you think about it, is just the the seriousness of of just where the seriousness of where this can can lead a person. Um, you know, the 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 sins that that are connected 
you know, to adultery um, with the body parts that were given of where that can lead um, individuals in their life and away from the Lord, uh, where this can also uh, end up taking a marriage of it can be destructive inside of the marriage and, and just the aspects of not only is this something that's going to impact that individual, but it also impacts the individuals that they're leading into sin too. But I kind of, if I could tie in your example from before, that was a great story about the little boys that were slugging each other. And it's kind of like they, they throw a punch or whatever. And, and then they're like, well, it was just my, you know, my, my hand just did it. I was, it was reflexive. He wouldn't say reflexive, but it was like, it was like my hand just felt like hitting him. And, and I think Jesus is here saying, Oh, really? Is, is that, that's the problem? Your hand is the problem? Well, you can stop sinning, just cut it off. And of course, th- people are going to say, well, no, I could never do that uh, because they would realize very quickly if I'm cutting off my hands and gouging out my eyes pretty soon, I have no body parts left. And We're walking around like pirates in Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> with, yeah, yeah, worse than that even. And, uh, and the fact is, that Jesus is, I, I always, I'm, I'm glad that you didn't start by saying, well, Jesus doesn't literally mean to cut off your hand or your gouge out your eye. No, he, he's telling you do that. If that's really the problem, then do that. And, and his point is that's not really the problem. It's, it's the heart that, that spews out all of this wanting to sin. That's the problem. Well, that gets into the next question then, Jeremy. So Jesus here is exposing the false claim of, quote, it's okay to look as long as you don't touch. But let's apply this to our society. What kind of implications do you see for our society where there's so many visual images uh, where people that can lead people into sinning with their thinking and their actions? That is a very interesting question. And I think it's one that I'm going to throw back at you to answer because... I, no, I'm serious. I, mm-hmm. I do think there's something. It sounds like you've got something uh, cooking in your brain that would be a good application there. Well, I think the big thing is not to. Uh, it, it's it's impossible for us to keep away from those things, but I think the best thing to do is the best we can to not expose ourselves to these things. Just thinking of things that were <clears throat> recently in in the news and so forth, you had the overt Satanism that was at the Grammys with one of the songs and the dancers and so forth. You guys know anything about that? No. I, I watched the Milwaukee Bucks. So I don't <laughs> know if okay. there's sports references. So yeah, no, I, I'm, yeah. I'm out of touch with what... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but... You know, to get away from that that music, that kind of entertainment. Or as I was thinking about this question, I had taken our teens during soccer camp. Uh, we went and saw together uh, Thor: Love and Thunder because they're all you know Marvel superhero movies. And we talked about it afterwards. Is that movie was awful in that how woke it was, in that you had these gods, all different kinds of gods from different religions, all supposedly having an orgy. They were talking about it. You had uh, Thor talking to a, a son of one of his friends, but she, uh, he was now uh, a different name, a girl's name, uh, Astrid. And you know, because he had trans, uh, was now transgender, they talked about... Uh, Korg, who is the rock guy in there, and how, he said how he was born. You have two male rock guys that go together and they hold hands for a month, and then another rock, they have a rock baby. They talked about their dolphins that were seeing out in space. It was a weird movie. That they're polyamorous, they're all a family of five. And every- so, so your point is just that we we should be conscious of what we ingest. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is understanding, I think, our parents will just put the kids in front of anything you know, as a babysitter, a TV, music, movies, and to understand this stuff is out there. And I think what Jesus is saying here is, yeah, you're not touching that stuff, but it's, it's affecting you inside. And so get away from that stuff. And so you know, I talked with my daughter, Belle, and the teens afterwards, because we had a bonfire at a house after the movie, it's, I don't know if I'm interested in watching this stuff anymore. And a big thing I think is, you know, don't, why are we giving money to people who hate us, who are putting this kind of filth 
into our ears and before our eyes because it's going to affect the way we think and act then. So with that, what does Jesus mean when he talks about a woman being regarded as an adulteress? It's, it's t- talking then about, I think, the stigmatism. You know, it can be that she really is an adulteress, but it's also, you know, protecting the sanctity of marriage and someone's reputation. That if you divorce, uh, if a guy divorces his wife, because Jesus in his time, uh, they had lax divorce laws like we do, you know, no no fault divorce. And you divorce the wife and what are people going to think about her? They're going to think that she did something wrong and now consider her, regard her as an adulteress. That's the way I look at it. So, Pastor Lindner, what is Jesus' advice on making oaths? Short answer would, yeah, don't do it. Um, (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. But, again, a longer answer is just, again, when, when, you know, know, of who we should be when I just, I had an email today from a, a friend who just kind of said uh, I, I had to decline an offer because I, I said I promised I was going to be somewhere and and they said just so you know our little girl always says Bluey keeps keeps his promise if you know who Bluey the dog is or whatever oh. new character that I, I'm getting exposed to a little bit here on, on I've TV. heard of I've yeah heard but of anyways this. but you know that whole concept I'm just maybe drawing into of where you, you know if we say we're going to do something to somebody they're taking us at at our word and to have that you know to try to strive uh, to be someone who's going to let our yes be yes and our no, no, um, instead of, you know, calling down of saying, you know, this extra thing of whatever it is, um, whatever it might be. You can really, really believe me this time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And what Jesus was talking about was that custom of that time was, you know, you could swear on, like he says, Jerusalem, the temple. Today we might say your mother's grave. Then it's really serious. And he's saying, oh, you know, like you said, Dan, don't do it at all. So this is what Luther says in his large catechism on this. No, he did get a confession. Yep. Uh, we are not to swear in support of evil, that is, to support falsehood, or to swear when there is no need or use. But we should swear for the support of good and the advantage of our neighbor. So there he says, yeah, it, there are times that you can swear. So uh, when, would, when would those times be, Jeremy? Uh, of course, you, you always think of Jesus himself submitting to an oath in court when he was in the Sanhedrin and on trial for the religious authorities, and the high priest put him under oath, and he answered the question. In other words, he took the oath um, when when you're in court. Uh, Pastor Linder mentioned uh, him getting married in, in marriage. Uh, you you swear a public oath that you're going to remain faithful to your spouse. Um, you're, and when you enter office, you get installed as a pastor or you get elected president of the United States. Um, I think you even have oaths for things like um, police or military service, um, uh, becoming a citizen of the country, things like that. Yeah, and we would be installing our church council members, and in about a month or so, they would take an oath. You take an oath as a pastor. As a teacher, you take an oath uh, as a godparent. Uh, and then, you know, what does Jesus mean when he says, let your yes be yes and your no, no? Uh, he's just saying, just, you don't have to make those big vows. Just be honest enough so that when you say, I'm going to be home, you know, you tell your wife, I'm going to be home at six o'clock. Are you really going to be home at six o'clock? Or you promise to take your, your daughter and you know, say a soccer game on the weekend, you're really going to do that. And if you, and if you don't think you can do it, then he's teaching you, then say your words properly and say, you know what, dear, I'm going to work really hard to be home at six o'clock, but something may come up. And so you don't make a vow and that you're going to break it. And when you say to your daughter, hey, I'm going to take you to the Milwaukee Wave indoor soccer game, do you know about Milwaukee Wave indoor soccer games? Yes. Okay, that I didn't know what sports you all knew. So they say, you know what, unless something else comes up. But be very careful with their words. So, Dan, in this section, Jesus is pointing out that behind every sinful action lurks a sinful desire and attitude. How can we ever keep our hearts pure and free from such desires and attitudes? 
well, again, maybe in a in a loaded way, the sinners that we are, we we, we really, you know, we're we're sinful human beings, and we've got to go to the cross, and it's there that Jesus did all of that for us and took those sins away. Um, how do we do it? Again, I think of what I, I have to be careful what I quote now because we've got a newer hymnal, but I, I just think of the prayer of David. You know, one of the things tied in with this, the Old Testament reading, uh, is the sin sins of David and then also of Bathsheba. And then you think of the psalm of where the prayer is, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew in me a steadfast spirit. Um, you know, and one of the ways that, that helps it is we avoid uh, those areas of temptation and sin. And, you know, we can often have people that hold us accountable, good friends, um, fellow pastors, uh, other, other members of our church, good family members, things like that. So I don't know if that's, that's no. necessarily a, at least an application or a thought with that. And then Jeremy, if you were preaching on this text or you were teaching this in your classroom, what would you say is the ultimate purpose for this text? What's Jesus really getting at with all of these verses? To show us that uh, our, our, that sin starts in your heart. It goes back to what I was saying before about chopping off hands and gouging out eyes. Uh, that uh, it, every, every single example Jesus gives. And, and I, one thing that I've always liked to do is look at how Jesus goes through the Ten Commandments in, in this section. And he actually, I don't think we read it in this account. Uh, you have heard, do not murder. Oh, we did. We did. So he actually starts with the fifth commandment. Uh, if you, if you look, if you superimpose the 10 commandments over Jesus sermon on the Mount here, uh, it's kind of interesting that, uh, he, he starts with, with life and the God's precious gift of life and, and how, murdering is wrong but then Jesus points he takes it another step and says but it's it's even just as wrong to uh be angry with your brother or hate your brother uh adultery is wrong yes but it's even just as wrong to have a lustful thought um so that that's really the main point here is that sin starts in your heart and so we need a new heart if we are going to be saved yeah and i was thinking with that I was teaching my seventh grade confirmation or catechism class today about the three uses of the law of curb, mirror, and guide. And here, Jesus is using, I think it's a curb, you know, don't do this uh, because these kinds of things would happen, but also then the mirror of showing us our sin. And then just thinking about preaching on this, you know, as a pastor, you're looking at, well, this is all law. You know, there's no gospel here. So I don't know, I'll just throw this out there for you guys. Where would you find, if you're preaching it in this text again, how do you bring the gospel into it? I think uh, one good first step would be to say, first of all, um, how did Jesus do all of these things? That he, how did he practice what he preached in his life? And he didn't just practice that to be a role model for you. He practiced it to be, a, uh, to be your righteousness in, in your place. So um, he was never angry so that you would be declared righteous of all your anger. And um, he was never lustful so that you would be set free from all of your lustful thoughts. Yeah, and there we were touching on this today as well uh, in seventh grade catechism class of active and passive obedience. And I mentioned to the kids, I said, so if I'm doing a children's devotion and I ask the little kids, well, what did Jesus do to save you? What will their answer always be? Well, he died for my sins. I said, that's his passive obedience. But his active obedience is what he actively did to keep the commandments in our place. And I think that's where you would bring that in in, this, in your sermon of uh, look at all the ways that you sin. And I think that's a good point that you said, Jeremy, of finding the commandments in these verses and then applying them. Look at how, how big of a sinner you are. Sins of commission, the sins you've committed, the sins of omission, what you failed to do when God tells you to do something. But now look at Jesus, the one who's preaching. He is the one who was righteous and gives that righteousness to you. You guys have anything else you want to bring up with this text? All right. So, Jeremy, you want to read the epistle lesson for First Thessalonians 4? Sure. 
First Thessalonians 4, Therefore beyond this, brothers, just as you received instruction from us about how you are to walk so as to please God, as indeed you are doing, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you do so even more. To be sure, you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Indeed, this is God's will, that you be sanctified, namely, that you keep yourselves away from sexual immorality. He wants each of you to learn to obtain a wife for yourself in a way that is holy and honorable, not in lustful passion like the heathen who do not know God. No one is to overstep and take advantage of his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, just as we said previously and solemnly testified to it. For God did not call us for uncleanness, but in sanctification. Consequently, whoever rejects this is not rejecting a man, but the God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Concerning brotherly love, there is no need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God with the result that you love one another. In fact, you are doing so toward all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers, to do this even more and to make it your ambition to live a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, just as we instructed you. Do this so that you are conducting yourselves decently toward outsiders and are not lacking anything. So, Dan, Paul begins chapter 4 talking about sanctification. If you want to describe what sanctification is for our listeners. Yeah, I'll do this. And again, this is going back a few years because I haven't done this for a while, but back to confirmation and instruction of the, in catechism class or in a, in a Bible information class, that differential again, you know, justification and sanctification. You can't see it on a podcast, but I would always use my fist of having it, rolling it up into a ball to describe the justification of having the hammer come down of saying you are declared not guilty and then to remind them of if they ever had to answer in front of everybody or for a test or of you, you know, and they needed help with sanctification. I thought of the butcher's term of you want a steak, and I would open that clenched fist, and I'd make a chopping motion, and with that chopping motion, I would shove to the side, like if you pick out a cut of steak or whatever, of where it's set aside for holy living. So that's usually how I would I would try to describe that at least uh, the, the first occurrence when I would meet some people and, and that kind of thing of trying to differentiate those two. So I like the carnivorous reference. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, and so here what Paul is talking about is walking or conducting themselves as Christians and thus like in pleasing God. That's their sanctification. So it's so it's set aside for holy. That's holiness. Holiness is to be set apart. And uh, there's there's not much that's holier than a nice, nice filet, mi- kind of filet mignon. Yeah. Yeah. Man, and this is dinner time when we're recording this. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Jeremy, Paul's talking about marriage here, uh, keeping the sixth commandment. How does acquiring a spouse in a holy and honorable way differ from the way our society thinks we should do this? Uh, I always tell my students that... Uh, you're not God doesn't want you to find your spouse by taking people for a test run um, that's that's kind of how people of this world uh, find a spouse for each other they they move in together they see they want to make sure if they're sexually compatible uh, and all of that is how God created us uh, to be to be sexual and to fit the way that God made us. Um, so that's not really something that you need to be exploring. Uh, you need to be going about your spouse seeking in a holy and honorable way. I think it'd be more interesting to talk about um, where this comes in with campus ministry. If that, you know, it, it, how, how would you encourage college students to, uh, how, it, how would you present this, this concept of, of Second Thessalonians to college students? It's a good question. First, first, I'm sorry, yeah, first Thessalonians. Yeah, no, it, it's good that's there. And again, there, there are all sorts of opinions that they're having coming to them from their various classmates, their peers, you know, the, the society that's around them, what they're hearing. And again, it, it, it may lead into some other things of just saying what it comes down to is with everything is you, you are going to hear all sorts of thoughts and opinions 
about this from others and they're going to say I think or this is what the world thinks this is what our campus thinks this is what the majority of 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 people around me think this is the day of age we're in and always leading them back to well what is it that God thinks and where do we find about find about what God thinks and we find find it in scripture um, we've got to go to that, and, and it, it's something, th- this area of, you know, whether you're going to call it sexuality or whatever, is something that, that can often dominate coming from another student group or whatever it is or whatever forms of, of what the loud opinions are going to be. It, it can be something that, that comes to these young adults, and they may struggle with this. Again, trying to find out, you know, life on their own, and they have a young man or a young lady who actually has an interest in them. What do they do? Um, what are they supposed to do? They've got fears in their heads of saying, well, if I don't, if I don't go by the way of the world with this, I'm going to get dumped or left behind, and if I get dumped and left behind, I'm going to get made fun of. Um, what am I to do? And again, that's just kind of where you go back to, well, what does God's word say? And, and, and some areas of why does God's word say this? And a couple of biblical examples that come to mind. I usually love to think about Joseph. Mm. Joseph living in a foreign world. Um, and, and just, you know, how the Lord looked after him um, in the same way the Lord looks it's after these young a people. A lot like so, a college student being yeah. away from home. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think of another pastor friend of mine, he and I have agreed that we need to just send the Sixth Commandment to our college students and young adults every year. Just, just text it to them. Just as a reminder, because this is that temptation. You know, everyone in different stages of life have different, uh, different sins. You know, someone who's 70 years old probably doesn't have quite as many temptations for the Sixth Commandment as others. His might be, you know, something with coveting as opposed to a younger person. Uh, but I think, too, for our listeners is if you have... Uh, grade schoolers and high schoolers at home, my encouragement with this is you need to be talking to your students, to to your children about dating. Uh, I talk to them in depth when we cover the Sixth Commandment, but that's in seventh grade, and that's a week, you know, that's a lesson or two. But, you know, I don't know if they, the parents talk to them about that. I'm, I don't know how much you talk about this at, at Shoreland as far as dating, because they're probably already dating at that time. Uh, I, th- I think it would be good to hit it head on. Um, I, I think Paul gives us a good model to follow of, of not being, um, what am I trying to say, uh, explicit to the point of, you know, causing offense, but also not being so generic that you, you never actually say anything that's useful to young people, um, uh, I was just going to ask uh, Pastor Lindner if you, when when you started dating your wife, did her father make you sit down and ask permission before you had to date her? Uh, again, I could go on another tangent of living in a in a foreign country of that vicar year. That that was a rule for dating. Oh. Even at, you know, I had a friend. Yeah, well, anyways, see, it but, isn't but that no, strange here. Yeah, you know no, I, I would say no. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have to ask my father-in-law at the time to take her I, out I, but uh but yet i had to ask him twice i had to repeat it when i asked for a hand in marriage because <laughs> mom wasn't in the room at the time that i did but anyway no no i didn't have to i didn't have to ask ask permission to do i that never too. said it was weird okay. I, I know it's a thing yeah. i just uh so my girls the guys that uh that want to date them they have to come and ask for my permission to date them oh, yeah okay. yeah uh Jumping a couple of verses, Dan, why is Paul's advice to live a quiet life, to mind your own business and be busy with our hands such a great concept that is needed in our current culture? Uh, I would, again, I'm, I'm interested some of your input too with, with this sort of thing, but one of the things that just, and I don't know if it's where I live, where I'm from, or the current culture, but it just seems like everything has to be loud and to the extreme. Uh, and yet a lot of the time, you know, because there is that loudness that to the extreme, and again, I'm maybe jumping to an application of thinking of working with young adults of where 
just the, 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 the quiet whisper of the gospel is needed or the fact that they can see a model of someone who's not all in, you know, all up in arms because of this or that, but just kind of focused on um, serving, loving others, thinking of ways of getting them connected to their Savior by, you know, proclaiming the gospel to people or, or introducing them and just saying, I, I see that your world is, is in a whirlwind, um, you know, quietly just saying, hey, if these things are betraying you left and right, let me show you someone who never betrays you. Um, and again, that, that can often be observed with the quiet, you know, I, I don't want to, I could get into like people, I'm going to use the example, like people can get really, really riled up about the, the turn of the world and who's governing what and where, um, and, and it can just consume them. And, and that's kind of why being a light, um, being a beacon, whatever it might be, of just saying, yeah, I understand walking through this world, a sinful world, there's going to be all of this stuff that's not not in line with what God's word has to say, and, and to say this is why we're here. We're to point people to our Savior and to do it in a, in a fairly quiet but yet noticeable way. Were you, were you uh, at the leadership conference in Chicago? I was at the leadership conference. I, I don't. I'm scared of where this no, no, question no, no. is going to go because uh, what I all attended because I was busy doing other. No, things. no, no, no. It, yeah, yeah. So. I, it, I think it may have been one of the plenary or keynote okay. addresses, yeah. but if you didn't remember it, I wouldn't expect you to. I, it was just going to make the point that it, it was kind of like uh, it, one of the presenters said that um, when people outsiders to our churches who we would consider prospects that we want to bring in and, and share the gospel with, they are constantly being bombarded with uh, things like political tirade from, from all sides, whether it's from news or from whatever. And then when they come into the church and hear more of that, that that, that actually does more detriment to the gospel than help, uh, which I, I think this is, this is, tied in with Paul's advice to live a quiet life and mind your own business that how about before you go out and start fixing the world whether it's on either side of the aisle whether it's the the woke uh, progressives or the uh, conservatives first make sure that your own life is in order make sure that you've got your your own room cleaned and, and your own problems figured out before you go trying to solve the world's problems so with that I was going to uh this is it's hard with a podcast to share a comic strip, uh, but one of my favorite comic strips besides Calvin and Hobbes is Pearls Before Swine, and this one came up and I thought it fit perfectly here. It's uh, they showed images of the morning ritual of waking up to a new day, a warm cup of joe, a pleasant walk outside, and then the the person comes across an angry mob with pitchforks and so forth, and it says the internet. And then Pig says in the last uh, picture to Rat, so that's where my day goes wrong. And Rat says they're called phones, but they're really just portals to darkness. And and I think that if Paul was writing to Christians in Thessalonica in the twenty in the twenty first century, it would be you know get off your phone, get off YouTube, get off Facebook and Twitter. You know, we have enough drama on our own. We don't need to borrow more. Uh, you know, find something else to do. You know, get off your phone, read a book, play a game, go for a walk, uh, keep your keep yourself busy with some kind of activity, hobby, craft. Just mind your own business. And 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 I think that leads into sanctification, what which is what both Paul and Jesus are talking about here is uh, just like like Jeremy said, you know, spend time focusing on your portion of God's kingdom, you don't need to be finding out or commenting on what else is going on in the earthly kingdom. Anything else you guys want to bring up with this text? After your comment there, I was just noticing of the three pastors in this room, there's only one of us who does not have a laptop and has never checked his phone this whole time. (laughs) Well, I needed to check my phone to be able to no, pull I, up the, I, I didn't, I didn't hey, have the comic strip memorized. I'm accusing myself. Oh, okay. you, you, I'm just saying, like, good for you. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> not, not, not being addicted to your screens. We're all got oh, yeah. our laptops and our phones open. And 
But that is a good thing. I since you mentioned that, I know of someone. You know, he unplugs for the weekend. You know, when he comes home from work because he's doing what we're doing here, the podcasting thing. That's his job: commenting, writing, and so forth. And so when he comes home, he he unplugs for the weekend. That's a good advice for us. Uh, it's a good thing, you know, as we're talking about youth and campus ministry, you know, when the kids come over to our house for for youth stuff, there's a basket for them to drop their phones in. Because otherwise, they're going to be sitting around, like, say, the three of us, and not talking to each other and scrolling Michael, through the Michael, phone. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to check my email. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, to do those kinds of things and, and not talking to each other. So, you know, we make it a rule in our house uh, you know, dinner at dinner at the table, your phone's in the other room. Teens come over to the house, phone's in a basket. When you're there for the th- after three hours, you leave, then you can take it home. Because we got to unplug and we got to be back to being sanctified Christians again. All right, anything else? We'll wrap it up here. This is Michael Zarling with Dan Lindner. And in honor of the Super Bowl this weekend, Bud Lightning. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.